tonight we start a new series when we look at, where we're going to look at enjoyment. Or you could use the word pleasure or delight or joy. And I'm sure you could use others to, to describe this pervasive need that we have built into us by God to find pleasure. Some of us find it in our work. Some of us find it in our relationships. Some of us find it in nature. Some of us find it in these common pleasures that we just talked about. We desire it from the moment we're born, right from, from, from uh, uh, the very moment we come into this world, we desire our mom's embrace. We desire full, full bellies almost just as soon, don't we? Later on, we love to learn, we love to enjoy the pleasure of play, don't we? We love play. Kids, in fact, they live for that pleasure. Little baby Eli Huber comes to my house all the time with his parents because he's not old enough to know the directions to my house. Uh, but, I mean, he might. He's pretty smart. But when he comes over, uh, the first thing he says is not, hi, Chris, or so glad to see you. Or he says, special tweet, which is special treat. Because he knows that Uncle Chris will not say no to him. Okay, if he wants chocolate chips, if he wants Josiah's special chocolate chip and peanut butter uh, Cheerios, you know, uh, whatever, you know, he, he's going to get it, you know, and regardless of Joe, it's Joe and Emily's job to tell him no and my job to tell him yes. So you see it from day one. A few ticks later on our biological timeline, we enter puberty and we long for the pleasure of what? Okay, we can skip that one. We all know what it is. Later still, we long for the pleasure of satisfying relationships, hopefully, and a meaningful career. So you get the picture. We are made by God to enjoy pleasure. He made us that way on purpose because he wants, to have, he wants us to have liberating, love-producing, risk-taking, immeasurable satisfaction in him. But we naturally desire security from other sources, don't we? We want to go to other places. For example, God created the pleasure of sex within marriage, one man and one woman for one life, but we seek it in relationships that bring only brokenness. The Lord is the, the origin of rest. I mean, he's the one who created the Sabbath, but we seek rest in endless entertainment and all kinds of other stuff. We seek life in things that can't provide it and blind us with their promise to please us only to bring death. While Jesus often seems boring or obsolete or confusing, like too much work, even though he's the center of pleasure, there is no real pleasure outside of Jesus because he's the creator of pleasure. And so pleasure, joy, eludes us because we look in the wrong places. Late author C.S. Lewis says it much better than me. He says, pleasures are shafts of glory as it strikes our sensibility. But aren't there bad, unlawful pleasures? Certainly there are, but in calling them bad pleasures, I take it we are using a kind of shorthand. We mean pleasures snatched by unlawful acts. In the stealing of the apples, that is bad. Not the sweetness is still a beam from the glory. I have tried since to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, must of course, give thanks, but I mean something different. Gratitude ex exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. If this is hedonism, 
It is also a somewhat arduous discipline, but it's worth some labor. Hedonism mean the, means the pursuit of pleasure. Have you ever tasted of real pleasure in God like Lewis described? Many of us here, if we were to be honest, would say we haven't. Have you experienced what King David describes in Psalm 42, verse 1, where he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You know, I oftentimes like to pray in the woods. I try to get away for an extended time every week, and I'll see. I'm in a little tiny woods in my neighborhood, but there are about a million deer back there. It's crazy. Sometimes it's a little frightening because they're not afraid of people, and you're, you know, from here to here to these deer, and sometimes they're thirsty if the water's down. And a thirsty deer, I mean, they're panting. You tell they're longing for water. That's David longed for that next moment that he could be with God. Because you see, our feelings matter to God. Did you know that? Our feelings matter to him. He doesn't want our stoic obedience forever, maybe for a while, until our hearts are changed. It's okay for a while, but he wants our hearts God wants us to taste of deep and satisfying joy in him. The best thing, you young life leaders, you college leaders, you home group leaders, you mom, your dad, you moms, your dads, your brothers, your sisters, you, you home group participants, the best thing you can give to those that you're leading and serving alongside is pleasure in Jesus Christ. Salvation marks many transitions in our soul as our spiritual DNA is changed from sinner to saint. But one of the main transformations is an awakening of a, awakening of a new taste for God. We see that in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So God at salvation wants to give us new desire. Not just new duties, not just a new list of do's and don'ts. New delights, not just new deeds. And new treasures, not just new tasks. Let me ask you this. Many of you have been in a romantic relationship. Would you want the person to spend time with you simply out of obligation? Maybe from time to time, but that would get old really quick, wouldn't it? If I went up to Becky and said, tonight we're going to go to our favorite sushi place, uh, followed by uh, our favorite ice cream place, Jenny's, and then we will go home at approximately at 9 p.m., upon which the night will carry on with romantic activities that are not acceptable to discuss in public. And I'm going to do that once every 2.5 weeks, and hopefully that will suffice. Is she going to be happy? No. I'm going to have some type of footwear lodged in a very uncomfortable place. All right, if I do that. And so it is with God. God at salvation wants to give us something new, a new thirst for God. Augustine said it best, God puts salt in our mouths that we might thirst for you. To quote once again this great awakening at salvation that I think Lewis describes so well, he's uh, one of my favorite authors and has influenced me that's in this area, so I'm going to reference him once again. He says this, provided the thing is in itself right, the more one likes it and the less one has to try to be good, the better. A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He would always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it's idiotic to use the crutch 
when our own legs, our own loves, taste, habits, etc., can do the journey on their own. You see, so stoic obedience is a crutch and a necessary one, but shouldn't be a temporary one. So it doesn't mean tonight I wouldn't want you to walk away and said, well, Pastor Chris said that I don't need to obey if I'm not feeling a, a pleasure in Christ. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying allow that stoic obedience to be your crutch, but look forward, wait for the joy, and we'll get more into that later. So both God's desire for us and my prayer for this series is contained in a psalm that I really like, and I invite you to pray this verse over us with me, Psalm 51, verse 12. Lord, please restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Please do so through this series. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our prayer to find pleasure in Christ has been echoed by ones all through the Bible, and we're going to focus on that tonight, but there are others as well. Way back to 1729, the preacher and great revivalist Jonathan Edwards says this of pursuing pleasure in Jesus. He says, to be endeavoring by all possible ways to inflame their desires and to attain more spiritual pleasures our hungerings and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ and after holiness cannot be too great for the value of these things, for they are things of infinite value. Therefore, endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. There is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. How do you develop addiction? You make the same choice to go after that thing ever over and over and over until it's got you. That's how it is in Christ. We expose ourselves to his word. We expose ourselves to prayer and we indulge. And we indulge. See, we're naturally good at that, aren't we? We are naturally a people of overindulgence, meaning humanity, especially in the U.S. I mean, why just watch one episode of Parks and Rec when you can, you know, gorge on seven or eight or several seasons and just go to bed dead the next day you know or if you're like me one oreo just makes me mad i've never understood like one scoop of ice cream i'd rather just skip it because it's just going to make me mad and that's a character problem with me and you can pray for that it truly is i'm being serious but we are a culture of overindulgence we're created by that way on purpose because god wants us to focus our desire for pleasure on him this overindulgence is a good desire for pleasure gone bad. We're to feast on the Lord's presence, just as Edwards described. Some of us, if we were to be honest, would say, man, Chris, this is a great idea, but this idea of finding pleasure in God is far from my everyday experience. And it's because it's not natural for us. So for most of this series, excluding tonight, we're going to focus on how to engage in this battle for pleasure in Christ every day in our lives. But tonight, we need to delay this, we need to delay this discussion of tactic, tactics in this daily battle and back up and look at the enormous focus and the deadly important weight that God puts on us play, finding pleasure in him, not just duty, real pleasure. It is all over the Bible, in every genre of scripture, in practically every book and letter. We'll see in scripture that finding joy and pleasure in God is not easy or comfortable, but we are commanded in Christ. Did you know that? We're, we're commanded many times to find pleasure in Jesus. 
because there is no salvation without pleasure in Christ. And there will be many, I believe, who stand before God someday, who have lots of different spiritual accomplishments that they have that compare well to other people. But when we stand before God, I think there are many who Jesus will say to, hey, I don't even know you because they found no pleasure in Christ. And it requires a miracle. That's why salvation is the greatest miracle ever, greater than healing, greater than multiplying food, greater than bringing back someone from the dead even because we naturally don't find pleasure in God. Some of us have a really strong willpower and we can even without Christ do a lot of great things. But only through the miracle of salvation, God changing us from the inside out, do we find more pleasure in Jesus than we do sex. Then we find more pleasure in Jesus than we do pornography. Then we find more pleasure in Jesus than we do food. Then we find more pleasure in Jesus than we do entertainment. That's a miracle. For many of you tonight, you're hearing this for the very first time and you're wondering, Chris, how am I supposed to find pleasure in Jesus? I thought this was just a religious thing. Where you might, you might feel Jesus drawing you tonight. And if that's the case, uh, at the end of our service, we'll have a, a prayer team up here. And if you sense that you're being drawn to Christ, it can be your opportunity to find pleasure in the creator of joy. The one who made you in your mother's womb to experience him, to taste and see that the Lord is good. But first tonight, I want to highlight the fact that God's word, that is the Bible, doesn't say that joy is easy or comfortable. And I think that's important for us to highlight because uh, otherwise we will misunderstand uh, our whole perspective on what joy actually is. Because our lens, you know, I wear glasses, our lenses, our glasses, so to speak, that allow us to see joy are broken because of sin. Because you see, in the beginning when God created the world, Adam and Eve experienced uninterrupted enjoyment of God. In other words, they didn't have to try. Did you know that? Like they didn't have to try like we we do now. So for them, at first at least, you know how we enjoy all the stuff that you guys talked about at the beginning, chocolate and coffee and all that stuff. I don't have to try to enjoy my coffee. I mean, unless it's bad coffee, but I don't make bad coffee. So if I'm making it, it's good coffee, and I don't have to try to enjoy it. I don't have to try to enjoy time with my wife or my friends. That's a passive enjoyment, and that's what Adam and Eve had with God. And then sin entered the picture. When the enemy tempted them to eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of good and evil and tempted them ultimately to believe that they could find pleasure outside of God. They could find pleasure on their own terms instead of God's. So from then on, Adam and Eve and all of humanity naturally finds God to be heavy-handed, distasteful, not one that we find pleasure in, complicated, boring, and you name it, because our pleasure lenses are broken. So we look at all these other things, and we know they just exhaust us. Whether it's immorality or entertainment or you name it, we know way deep down this cannot fill me. Because it's so dependent on circumstances. Because it's so dependent on others. But our temptation from Adam and Eve falling on has been, God is holding out on me. And I don't want to bet the farm on pleasure found in him alone. And the result is devastating. 
It brings death, doesn't it? Finding pleasures and other things, but God destroys relationships. It destroys the culture around us. It brings injustice. It brings what we've read and watched about what happened in Texas this last week. That's what happens when we find pleasure outside of God in its extreme form, but in so many other everyday minor forms, we become one degree separated from God after another. But God successfully brought us back to pleasure in him by providing us with salvation. And what salvation does, that is being put back into a right relationship with God, is it allows us to find pleasure in Christ even when our circumstances are miserable or not ideal, which is basically all the time. So pleasure in the midst of pain. Take, for instance, persecution. Persecution definitely exists in our culture, and I think more so by each passing day, but it doesn't compare to the death and dismemberment and imprisonment that so many others experience all around the world. But even in the midst of the persecution that we experience and the horrific stuff that they experience all over the world, Paul says that in that, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. So it's like, man, how do you experience pleasure in the midst of persecution? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Pleasure is a massage. Pleasure is runner's endorphins, you know, even though I don't think that really exists, but it's a theory. Uh, you know, that's pleasure. How can it exist in persecution? But it can't. Here's the thing. Pleasure was not meant originally to be diminished by our circumstances. That's what sin did. See, Jesus wants to give us unending pleasures. He says, at his right hand are rivers of delight. An unending pleasure. That is what the enemy is trying to deceive us with. Pleasure is found in other things. Don't rely on Jesus. It'll be too slow. It'll be too boring. You're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. Pleasure is found in him alone. Anything else is just one big gerbil wheel that we run on year after year after year after year, trying to find pleasure in things that were never designed to give it. Even the pain of persecution can't diminish it. In Romans 5, 3, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So we know that pleasure found in Christ is not the same thing as the pillow that our Western culture tries to offer us of comfort and ease. That, hey, this is pleasure, just indulging whatever you want to do at the moment. But it's far more sturdy, according to this passage. It can survive the strong winds and storms of suffering. When suffering blows on our lives, Christ can use it to blow away sin that entangles us and entraps us and deceives us into fake pleasures to reveal the, the shiny gold treasure chest of blessings that Jesus has for us. Even Jesus himself was, was sustained by what on the Calvary Road? In other words, what got him to and through the cross? Do you remember what got him through it? The joy of the runner gets it because she's fresh. She, she's alert because she's always running. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. So we fix our eyes on Jesus because his joy, don't read comfort and ease, was found in giving his life for us. So suffering in, with, and for Christ creates a glorious pleasure that worldly passions and desires can't compare. And one day, see what, that, what that's talking about is Jesus had this hope, because that's pleasure as well, right? When we look forward to something good that's going to happen. That the pleasure of hoping one day we are going to see him face to face, and pleasure will be the way it was intended to be all along, we'll be able to experience it passively once again. It won't be a battle. In saying that pleasure in Jesus is resilient and sturdy despite troubling circumstances, in other words, that it's a battle, I don't want us to jump to the conclusion that joy in Christ is just simply a trial. Christ followers can't say, we can't say that, we can't simply with our mouths say that Jesus is valuable or only sing on Sunday nights that Jesus is valuable. We have to experience it in our hearts. In other words, Jesus' desire, his desire is, don't let anybody tell you this. is. Don't let anybody tell you your emotions don't matter to God. That is a lie. That's a lie that I think the church fell into for a number of decades, definitely early on in my faith. That is a lie. We don't completely trust our emotions, that's for sure. But Jesus wants to transform our emotions. He wants our hearts to sing, to boil hot for Jesus Christ above all else. That won't always be the case, but that is the goal. As we hit trials, we find, that's why Paul says what? That uh, uh, when we face trials, the peace that we experience transcends all knowledge and understanding. That is, it doesn't make sense. So it is that with the joy that we experience in Christ when we're suffering. I know I've had that experience, and I know many of you have as well. How can I be joyful right now, even though I'm weeping over my nephew who tragically died. Now, am I happy? You know, am I ready to have a party and invite you guys over? And, you know, no, am I wanting to go to a baseball game or something? No. But I'm filled with the, with the, with the sense that Jesus is there, that he loves me, that there's a bigger picture, and this life's gonna be over like that. And Jesus is gonna make all things right. We want to get to the point where we can say along with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So that means the house and cars, the job and success the status and influence, the cancer or health, the romance or the lack thereof, it can't compare to the treasure of Jesus. It seems like it does. It seems like it has something to offer, but it has nothing. It has nothing. It is garbage. Some translations say dung. It's like crap in comparison. It's nothing. So we put our hope in that which we can't see yet, which the world calls foolish, and we experience some of that joy now, and we experience it all one day when we see him face to face. My favorite hymn of all time was written with Philippians chapter 3, especially the verse that we just read in mine, when it says in the fourth stanza, Be Thou My Vision. Even as a teenager, I just loved hymns. You know, maybe you're the same way. 
but it says this, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Kimball's out of a job, isn't he? Kimball's out of a job. Sorry, buddy. Uh, but Paul, no, not, not hardly. Paul and the precious follower of Jesus that wrote this hymn was able to say, my interest in the world and the world's interest in me died a long, long ago. That's why Jesus calls us to crucify our flesh. It is a daily battle. We will never or rarely want to find pleasure in Jesus. We rarely will because the enemy wants, he wants to make us legalist. That is, he wants to make us compare our righteous deeds to others. I get in, I read the Bible more. I pray more than Charlotte. Or Brian uh, reads the Bible more than I do. Or, uh, you know, Josh is, is able to reach people a lot better than I do. And he is. He wants us to begin to compare ourselves to others so that we feel better or worse accordingly. What Jesus wants is for us to be crazy about him. You know, that's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for this church. These people are crazy about Jesus. They actually believe what he says, and they enjoy him. So Paul is one who found pleasure in Jesus and it was worth more to him than all things. But there are so many more examples in the Bible. And I want to focus on those tonight. What we're doing tonight is basically backing up and saying, look at the Bible. Pleasure in Jesus matters. It's to whet our appetite so that in the coming weeks, we want to fight for it. Because see, your sexual temptations are not the issue. My discouragement and despondency and apathy is not the issue. Your physical illness, it's not the problem. The problem is pleasure, because we do that which we enjoy, don't we? We find a way, whether it's Facebook or uh, uh, Spike Ball or whatever else, Netflix, we find a way to do that which we enjoy. So that's why this is a battle. But I wanted to back up tonight and first say it matters to God. It really does. Because I don't think this message is communicated enough. And we begin diagnosing all the symptoms, but we don't look at the cause. Jesus, another way to say it in kind of a generic way is Jesus wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And the enemy says, no, just do enough. Just do enough. He wants our hearts. Examples of true pleasure seekers. Asaph, in Psalm 73, verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I want to say as a disclaimer here, as you read through the Psalms and, and the different laments in the Bible, as Phil uh, communicated so well in our last series, uh, you'll also see they're very honest. So they find their pleasure in God, but they're very honest about their trials. Okay, God doesn't want us being fake. He wants us to yell. He wants us to scream. He wants us to have a real 3D relationship with him. Not just, I'm discouraged. I'm happy. It's, I'm mad. I'm uh, a little bit depressed. God, right now I'm apathetic. We bring it all to him. I I've read before that every psychological issue, every emotion that we can possibly experience uh, as human beings are contained in the Psalms, and that's not by accident. 
So I believe Asaph here sounds like Paul in Philippians 3. He says, for all the portions that earth can give, Asaph turns away and says, God is my portion. And Jeremiah says the same in Lamentations chapter 3. And let me just tell you, if you haven't read Lamentations chapter 3, that is, if any of you have met with me when you've gone through a trial or you've talked to me about, Chris, how did you handle this or that issue in your life? Lamentations 3. He starts off saying, you know, uh, God, you're like a bear mauling me. God, you, I feel like you've, driven, you've uh, drug my teeth through the gravel. My chest is filled with your arrows. I mean, it goes on and on, verse after verse. And you're like, wow, how can this guy talk to God like that? But then here's where he makes the change. He says in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, the word wait here is crucial because in the context of Jeremiah, his country was going to hell. Okay, and they weren't repenting. They weren't turning to God. And he had to wait because it looked like all was lost. And that's how it's going to look sometimes in our lives. We're going to have to wait because it's not only the pleasure in Christ of desire fulfilled, as we said early, it's also the pleasure of the hope of a desire that will one day be fulfilled. We understand that because all of us are sexual beings, right? Because all of us know, all of us here are sexual beings. My guess is a few of you in this room have uh, had sexual desires, right? And it's all over the Bible, so I'm allowed to talk about it, so there. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, the anticipation of sexual climax is, is something that attracts us to sex, right? But it's not just that. It's the steps that happen before, leading up to it, and afterwards. Or a more PG example I could use would be as you're anticipating vacation. It's the, man, I can't wait till this happens, and then it's the, I can't wait till, you know, afterwards as we reflect on all the good times that we had so it is in Christ. We look forward to his promises contained in his word, even when our circumstances are tough. More on that when we get to uh, the daily battle discussion in weeks to come. David also said the same kind of thing in Psalm 63. This is one of my favorite psalms. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek, for you. I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. He says that God's love is better to him than his very life, than, than breathing, as you said earlier so well. So see, now we're, we're getting it. Uh, this psalm has been a grace to me more times than I can count. When tempted, David's words have encouraged me to look past the mirage of lust, materialism, and a life of ease to that which is behind those lures. Why do those, why do those lures even have any magnetism to draw me away from God? The reason is what lies behind. I desire to find pleasure in Christ alone. If only we'll wait during those temptations and say that, Jesus, you're better than pornography. Jesus, you're better than Amazon. Jesus, you're better than finding my fulfillment in my salvation in another person that says I'm worthy or attractive or whatever. If I wait and I weather that temptation, which usually, not always, but usually only takes a few moments, we find that Jesus is better than all things. That Let me tell you, the greatest blessings of my life 
have been found in just moments after, literally minutes after temptation comes and goes, Jesus, you're better. I was tempted to get discouraged. I was tempted to get depressed. But I thank you that you've chosen and appointed me to bear fruit, fruit that will last. I am not going to listen to these voices. And I find he is so much better. And then a track record starts to develop. Faith monuments become popping up. But if every time a pleasure of the world pops up, we go for it, we're dead. We will not make it. We'll either sit in a chair on Sunday night, and that'll be the extent of our relationship with Jesus, which is the saddest thing in the entire world. It's like sitting outside of Disney World and deciding you want to play with a paper cup and some sand instead of going in there and enjoying all the rides you can stomach. Right? It'd be like deciding I'm going to just stay in the airport tomorrow instead of going on vacation and just walk in and out of security over and over again instead of going to Florida. Right? It's ridiculous. It's re- there is so much more. And these little pleasures, they're fleeting. They are nothing. Isaiah was cut out of the same cloth in Isaiah 26, verse 9. He says, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. There's the yearning. There's a longing. Lord, help me. This isn't something we manufacture on our own. Help me to really, really want you. Help me to weather this little teeny tiny temptation right now. That's all I'm looking at. I want to choose you. Even though I don't find pleasure in you at this moment, I know because of the promises in your word, there's greater pleasure on the other side. I believe you, God. And then you knock over that one. And then one comes that's maybe a little bit bigger. And when you go down this road, the enemy will come after us because he wants to keep it religious, not enjoyable. Nobody enjoys religion, right? Religion is what we do so we feel good enough, so we don't feel like crap. It's reactive. Pleasure-seeking in Christ is proactive. Lord, you're better. I choose you over these things, even when it seems like they're going to satisfy more. So now to our last example, we could look at uh, more, but I'm, I'm really scared about pronouncing this because it's what Phil's series was on, and I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong, but Habakkuk? I said it right. Habakkuk. It's not Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I'm getting some nods, but I'm going with it. I'm pretty sure I'm right. But anyway, Habakkuk 3, verse 17. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So even if everything's taken away, away, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, without the Holy Spirit, says, I am going to choose God above everything else. I'm drawing a line in the sand. That's my decision. And for those of you who are younger, especially, for all of us to be certain, but for those of you who are younger, you have been taught from the time you were born on that your immediate desire for gratification matters more than anything else and that to be true to yourself is to follow whatever your natural desires are. That is pure crap. That is a lie straight from hell. We are created to find pleasure in him, and it's disingenuous. It's inhuman to find pleasure in anything else. We were literally knit in our mother's womb for one single purpose, to find pleasure in God. 
You do not need to be true to your, to your feelings in that regard. We naturally will never want to find pleasure in him, but that's because of the fall. And one day that'll be lifted. So can we say that as a church? Can we say, like the psalmist did in chapter 16, verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It goes on and on. It's never going to be exhausted. God's never going to break up with you. The money's never going to run out, so to speak. The joy will never end like it does in earthly pleasures. The money can run out, can it? Someone's love for us can pass. The house, uh, you can no longer make the payment. The relationships can end. The career can, can all of a sudden vanish in an instant. And we can be let go, but not so with Christ. His pleasures are forevermore. So I want to I say now, can that be, we decide that tonight. And if you know Jesus, you can make that decision. Because joy is yours. It is yours in Christ, and it is ours to choose. If you don't know Jesus tonight, I want to encourage you. Uh, in the New Testament, that's the part of the Bible written about Jesus and about uh, his life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension to the Father, and then all about the early church and all that good stuff. But in the New Testament, it says conversion to Jesus meant discovering that Jesus was a treasure of such surpassing worth that joy would enable a new disciple to leave everything and follow him. So you can taste of true and lasting joy. Do you know that's the reason to follow Jesus? Joy. Joy. He's where joy is found. It's found in nowhere else. You know what the discerning line of demarcation is between those who know Jesus and those who don't. Those who find their joy in Christ and those who don't. So tonight, if that's your desire, and you may not understand it, but I want to encourage you, if that's your desire, if you're feeling drawn to him, please come up, talk to those on the prayer team, and, and, and tonight you can experience true and lasting joy. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that in you are pleasures forevermore, that there are rivers of delights in your presence, Lord, that it's never exhausted, it never runs out. Lord, and all of us in this room, daily, we succumb to the temptation to find pleasure in other things, Lord. But uh, collectively, together with the mind of Christ, Lord, we just tell you we want more. And I pray that you would enable us, empower us, Holy Spirit, to make the decision that, that we're going to find joy in you, not in other things. And help us to make that decision every day, Holy Spirit, please. And I pray for those who are... Uh, uh, feeling urged, drawn to you now, Lord, who are far from you. I pray that you would protect them, Lord, and that you would help them to walk out what you're calling them to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace and go in the pleasure of Jesus Christ. Amen.